Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. There's a particular exercise you see people doing at the gym called the bench press. Um, If I was getting on your back, big weights, and this idea of you're pressing, use your whole body to to press the weight upwards. And uh, the world record for the bench press is held by uh, Julius Maddox, who did this in 2020. He bench pressed 350 kilograms. That's sort of a small car. that uh, has a picture of him, him doing that. Oh, I do bench presses when I go to the gym as well. Uh, my record, uh, don't laugh, is about 65 kilos. Uh, and, 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 and when I do them, I usually look like the one who's been bench pressed, uh, not, the, not, not the weights. There's a, a place just outside of Jerusalem on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives uh, called the olive press or the the oil press. And uh, it's likely that uh, there was uh, a a walled area, a private property on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives, which was fenced and had olive trees in there, which is not unusual for for sort of a a farm. Uh, But it was likely as well that there was an oil press there, an olive press, which probably looked something like that. So there was a a stone wheel and and a trough of some sort and the olives were put in there and the, the stone and the weight of the person pushing, pressing down on the, on the wheel would uh, crush the olives and squeeze the oil, the, the precious olive oil, out of the olives and it would be collected and, and used. And we read in, Matthew, uh, in Mark chapter 14, verse uh, 32, uh, they went to a place called Gethsemane, which means the olive press or the the oil press and Jesus said to his disciples sit here while I pray and he took Peter James and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled the word uh, translated distressed there uh, is uh, is much it's it's hard to find an English word that that covers it it, it includes this idea of perplexity of being uh, horrified uh, sort of it's almost it's beyond being distressed it's getting towards being traumatized is is what Jesus experienced as he as he was there he would left his outer disciples so the disciples the 12 had come with him and he set, set them and then he had grabbed his three closest disciples Peter James and John and he he, he goes with them further into the into the olive grove and he's deeply disturbed and troubled in verse 34 he says my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death and i'm sure we've all been sad at some point in our lives and jesus is really sad in fact he's so sad he almost feels like he's it's physical it's like he's dying as he uh, walks through this olive grove on this night so the the scene is it's uh, it's after the last supper before his betrayal and his crucifixion. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Verse 35, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed. In those days when you prayed, you prayed standing, you prayed prayed with your, your arms up high. And presumably Jesus entered 
the, the olive grove, intending to pray that way on this, on this desperate night. But he's under so much pressure that he falls to the ground and ends up praying from this prostrate, prostrate position. Why was Jesus under so much pressure? What was the pressure he was experiencing? Well, it was his, his impending death was, was at least part of it. Um, there's this sort of philosophical argument. If you could know when you were going to die, would you like to know it or not? And some people say, yes, yes, I think I would like to die. But the vast majority of people, once they think about it a bit, go, actually, I don't want to know the day and the time of my death because it sort of will, it will flood backwards into my, into my everyday living. So I'd rather just have it happen all of a sudden. Well, Jesus didn't have that luxury. He knew he was going to die the following, the following day. Uh, and uh, he had this incredible struggle. I mean, it's, Jesus is fully human as well as being fully God. And humans, we have in us this survival instinct, this, this inbuilt instinct that God has put into us, which doesn't allow us to just die easily, but it, it gives us uh, the fight to, to resist disease and to get up in the morning and to, to push on. And, and Jesus has this instinct of survival that's telling him to, to run away, to telling him, it's just telling him to get out of the garden and go to Bethany. Get out of the garden and go anywhere and you can get away from this death that is going to come upon you. And Jesus is, is having this struggle against his sense of survival. But it was not only the fact that he was going to die which was causing this pressure for Jesus, but the way he was going to die. It was pretty sure that he knew he was going to be crucified. And the Romans did many things very well including come up in coming up with the very best method of torturous death humanly possible. And, uh, you know, the, the excruciation you're probably aware of, of being nailed to a cross and, and left exposed and ag you know, each breath being an exercise in agony for hours and hours, sometimes days and days. Jesus knew that that's what he was going to face. But the physical crucifixion, was really only a metaphor of the spiritual crucifixion that was going to occur when Christ was on the cross. Throughout eternity, the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been united in, in perfect love towards one another within the Godhead. But at the moment of the crucifixion, that relationship was destroyed and, and, and there was a, a tearing apart between the Father and the Son and the Spirit that caused Jesus to cry out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus knew he was going to die, he knew he was going to be crucified, and he knew he was going to have this rendering of his relationship with his Father on the cross as well. If you reckon bench-pressing 60 kilos or 350 kilos is hard, imagine bench-pressing the sin of the whole world because that's what Jesus did on the cross and he knew what it was going to be like. But what made it even worse was the, the interpersonal relationships and, and issues that were, were going on here as well uh, because we, we read in, you know, um, after Jesus prays, he goes back to his disciples in verse 37. He returned to his disciples and found them 
sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 39, once more he went away and and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? And Jesus, in his, his humanity, desperately wanted the support of his friends. That's why he didn't go off by himself to pray. He took Peter, James and John with him hoping that they would sit with him and pray with him and encourage him in this time of pressure. But on top of experiencing the agony of the pressure, he had this agony of betrayal, of, of weak spiritedness, of lack of camaraderie as well. And you don't have the same sorts of pressure that Jesus faced that night, but I'm sure you've got your share of pressure in your life as well. Uh, in these days of COVID, work is, is very pressured for many people. Lots of big decisions to make, lots of demands, lots of extra things to think about, extra things to do because of, of that. And for many people, they've already been working a full-time job, but now it's got more and more and more pressure put on them. At the other end of the spectrum, others of you are struggling with underemployment. And you've got the pressure of providing for your family. And, and you're just not getting enough work to be able to cover the, the bills and to meet the expectations of, of what you would like. Some of you are on top of that, I know, are studying. So you've got the sort of you're doing the full-time job, plus you're, you're, you're doing the, the, the study as well. And you, know, you get home from work and you do all the home duties and wash up. And then on top of that, you go off to the study to do a few more hours of work. I know a lot of you struggle with the pressures of parenting. It seems as though almost every stage of a child's life, there's a different type of pressure. You know, the first of all, the newborn pressures of lack of sleep and, and, and caring for them and not knowing what to do. Uh, and then you, get, then you have to choose what school they're going to and you feel the pressure of trying to decide what, what school. And, uh, and then, then as they start growing up, you feel the pressure of, of the weight of their, of their life and their choices and you, you're trying to do the best thing for you when you feel as though you've got this responsibility to, to make sure they get the right opportunities and the right encouragement. And then they become teenagers and you get the pressure of the rebellion stage and the difficulties that go along with that. Uh, and then right through, it's just one pressure after another. And certainly you don't feel the pressure, the press, that Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. But you have an inkling, don't you, of what pressure is and what it is to live a life under pressure. And I think Jesus gives us many gifts. But one of the gifts he gives us is his prayer that night. Uh, we don't know how the disciples found out what their prayer was. Perhaps as they drifted in and out of sleep, they, they overheard Jesus audibly praying this prayer over and over again. Or it may be that after the resurrection, as Jesus was with the disciples, he said, this is what I prayed that night in the garden. And this serves you as a, as a template, as a form for what you can pray when you 
are under pressure as well. Either way, we can be thankful here that we have this prayer and to, to look at it with great solemnity because we are standing on hallowed ground. How sacred is the prayer between the Son and the Father in the hours before his betrayal and execution. And yet Jesus has gifted it to us and said, here is the prayer I prayed. Here is the prayer that you can pray in your time of pressure as well. So let's get into it. First thing he says is, Abba, Father. And he wasn't calling out for the Swedish rock band. He was expressing to Abba was the Aramaic, Jesus' native tongue, the, the name for like daddy or papa. So it was a, the Jews would generally not use Abba to refer to the father. They would pray to the father, but they wouldn't pray to daddy or papa or Abba uh, because they were considered sort of inappropriate. Yet Jesus demonstrates in his relationship with his father, he is able to come before him and say, Papa, Daddy. And it frames everything that follows because the prayer that follows is firmly buried in the context of that relationship and that sort of intimacy of relationship that Jesus knew that he had with his Father in heaven. And incredibly, we share that same status. Paul says in Romans 8.15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And often when we're feeling under pressure, that's the last time that we, that's the least likely time that we are thinking, I'm God's children or I'm in this sort of intimate, special relationship with the creator of the universe. But it's that time, Paul says, that the Holy Spirit is at work within us as well, convincing us that we are, in fact, children of God. By adoption, through sacrifice of Christ, all those things. But the Spirit testifies inside of you and means you can come before your God as you pray in those situations of incre incredible pressure. The first word that should come from your lips is Abba, Father. He is the one you speak to. Next thing Jesus says in this precious prayer under pressure is everything is possible for you. And so the second thing we do when we're praying under pressure is to acknowledge that God has the power to deal with the situation. I guess if he didn't, there'd be no point praying. And as Rose shared, we see answered prayer. And sometimes in our pressured situation, we start, Abba, Father, this is what I want. Give me a break at work. Give me the hours I need in order to be able to feed my family. Give me that child. Give me that right decision. Give me that wisdom I need to raise my child. Give me that courage I need in that relationship that, that's causing so much pressure in my life. We approach our Father in heaven with the expectation and understanding that everything is possible for God. 
And Jesus here expresses the desire of his humanity. Take this cup from me. This is his heart's desire. This is God can do anything. Father, you, Dad, Dad, you can do anything. Take this cup from me. Jesus is drawing on a, on a metaphor from the Old Testament about the cup of sin and wrath. And there's this idea that Jesus is going to drink as he, as he goes through his crucifixion and, and death and resurrection. He's going to drink a cup. And this cup is full of sin. It's full of all of the sin that's occurred in the world, all of the, the hatred, all of the warfare, all of the atrocities, all of the racism, all of the slander, all of the uh, cruelty, all of the, the, the covetedness, all of the jealousy. It's, it's like it's, it's in this cup, the very worst the world has, and Jesus is going to, knows he's going to drink this cup. He's going to drink this sin, and it's going to come into him. He's going to absorb it. It's not going to go any further, but he recoils from the horror of the cup of sin. The pure, sinless Son of God is going to take into him all of this yucky stuff, and he recoils from it. But the second dimension to this cup is that it's not just a cup of sin, but it's a cup of God's wrath. Probably most of us in our lives have at some point looked at the sin of the world. We've looked at injustice. We've looked at cruelty. We've looked at racism. We've looked at hatred. And we've, we've wanted to judge it. We've wanted to deal with it. We've wanted to fix it up. We've wanted to correct it. Well, as much as we have a, a small experience of that, that's just a touch of the horror that God feels and the wrath that God feels towards the injustice of this world. And he desires to, to deal with it. He wants to bring his righteous judgment upon sin. But it's a horrible thing to behold when it's released. And Jesus, as he looks into the cup, sees the wrath of God against sin. And he's going to drink that as well. He's going to absorb the wrath of God, the righteous indignation of God towards sinfulness into his own body. And it's a horrifying horrible thing that Jesus looks at and his humanity cries out dad if there's any other way that we can save the world apart from me having to drink this cup can we opt for that can we can we do this without me having to go to the cross can we do this without the the horror and that invites us when we come before God in our, in our prayers, in our, in our time of pressure, to be, to be honest with God. Uh, you've only got to look at the Psalms to see how we are encouraged to be honest with God. Just look at Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Can you see the, the honesty there? The psalmist is not afraid of, of sort of offending God in any way by being honest. In fact, the, the very prayer that Jesus says here, when he, he says, uh, my, my soul is, uh, uh, is distressed, to the, uh, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, comes from Psalm 42, it's word for word. Jesus picks up the, the honesty in that psalm and, and is honest with, with God. And when we pray to God, when we're under this extreme pressure, 
He wants us to be honest. He sees what's going on in our lives. He knows what it is. We might as well just say the way it is. He's big enough to handle it. He loves you enough to handle it. But then Jesus comes to the crux of this prayer. This is the the essential part of the prayer that Jesus prays. And it's prayed within the context of this father-son relationship. It's prayed within the context of his honesty. It's prayed within the context of realising that, that God can do anything. And it is simply, yet not what I will, but you will. It's a, a place of submission. It's a place of recognising that even if I ask you to give me more hours at work, you might not. Even if I ask you to sort out that pressure, that relationship issue, God may not. Even if you, if you ask for relief for the pressure with children, an easing of the responsibility and the burden you bear for them, or, or, or your prayer that they, they will stay on the straight and narrow and not form bad friendships, yet not my will, but your will. It's a, it's a hard truth, isn't it? That's one of the hardest things we, we wrestle with in our Christianity, that even though God loves us so deeply, sometimes he doesn't give us what we want. And we've got to be comfortable with that. In some sections of the church, there is this idea of, of name it and claim it, that, it, that if we just ask it, God must grant our prayers, or if we ask it in a, in a certain way, God must grant it. If we ask it enough times, if we say it over and over and over again, God will answer it. But it's not true. God, our loving Father, our dearest Daddy, our God who could do anything, who could answer that prayer, will sometimes say no. And we need to be able to come before him and, and sign off every prayer. Sign off every prayer. But not my will, but your will be done. That is our prayer in times of trouble and pressure. Olives were incredibly precious in the ancient world. And, and that's because of the olive oil that they produced. And, and there was lots of groves of olives and, and lots of olive presses because the oil was so useful. Uh, it was used for light. So that was their, their source of oil for their lights in the room. So when the sun set, the only way that they could light their homes, the only way they could light anyway, was, was to have an olive oil lamp. And they would take some olive oil and uh, put a little lamp and, and it would light the, the room at night. It was also the essential ingredient of the bread. Oil and, uh, bread in those days had two basic ingredients, flour and olive oil. And it was the part of the, the very basic staple nourishment of, of life. And perhaps because it was so important, it was associated with light and it was associated with nourishment, that over time, olive oil came to be associated with healing. And, and if you, you suffered some sort of illness or some sort of struggle, the, the, the elders would come or those who came and prayed for you would, would anoint you with, an olive, with olive oil. And we read this in James. You know, if you, if you ask the elders to come and anoint you with olive oil because it, it was believed that olive oil had healing properties. 
And the outcome of Christ's sacrifice, the outcome of the pressure that he went through is like olive oil for our lives. Just as olive oil brings light, so the sacrifice of Christ brings light to us. Just as olive oil brings nourishment, the sacrifice of Christ brings nourishment to our hearts. And just like olive oil was associated with healing, the sacrifice of Christ, his love expressed on the cross, brings healing to our heart as well. We're going to sing a, a song in a minute. And if you would like, and this is not an expectation that everybody would do this by any extreme measure, but we've got some olive oil out the front here and, and Pastor Mark is, is going to be out the front here. And if, if you're in that situation where you're in the press at the moment and you're feeling the pressure in some area of your life, whether it's at work or at home or in relationships or, or somewhere else, and you would like to receive some of the light and the nourishment and the healing of God this morning, you might like to just come down the front and Mark's just going to just put the cross, an olive oil cross on your forehead. Just the, it's just the old anointing uh, approach. It's not for everyone, but just if, if you think that that would be helpful to have that, that physical symbol of, of, of what the Christ sacrifice does for us applied to you this morning, feel, feel free to come forward and take that opportunity. And sorry, folks at home, that uh, you can't do that, but perhaps you just get some olive oil and if you're just in that situation of pressure, just take the opportunity just to, to put a bit of oil on your, on your forehead as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the incredible courage you showed in the garden that night. That despite the mind-boggling, the incomprehensible pressure you were under, that you still submitted to the Father's will for our good. You could have fled to the mountains. You could have called down a, a host of angels to get out of that situation. But where would we be? We would still be lost in our sin and still under the, the righteous judgment of God for our wrongdoing and the wrongdoing of our humanity. And so we thank you that you went through the press, that you went to the cross in our place. And we thank you that, that your blood flows out, but also like olive oil, your, your light and your nourishment and your healing flows out from Gethsemane the olive press to us this morning and as we we sing this song and as we remember what you went through for us Lord we pray you will bring that that light and nourishment and healing to our lives we commit our brothers and sisters to you this morning who are in the press for those who struggle to to get hours of employment for their to supply for their family for those who are under enormous pressure at work for those who are struggling with pressures in the family and the pressures of parenting, for those with relational issues. But Lord, you can do anything, but not our will, but your will be done. Help us to follow the example of our Saviour in being able to make every prayer end with that simple statement of submission, but also a statement of trust, that you know what is best for us, we think we know what is best, but you actually know it. Lord, bring us light, bring us nourishment, bring us healing. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.
Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing, intergenerational, and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.